This is Archive Atlanta, episode 224, Candler Warehouse, The Met. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week we are talking about a property that has had many names during its lifetime, mostly Candler Warehouse started off as the Atlanta Warehouse Company. Today, it is called The Met, M-E-T. And I have to start with a shout out to Adam Parker, um, not only for being so patient because it took me about two years to finally do this episode that I promised, um, but he gave me a tour of the property, I think back in 2021 it was. Um, and I'm not going to lie, like, uh, you know, I always love seeing historic stuff, but this giant concrete warehouse was not exactly like ringing my history nerd alarm bells. Once I started digging into the history... I was instantly hooked. It is about economic instability. There's drama. There's Candlers. There's world wars. There's fires. You know, there's City of Atlanta drama um, all in one place, which I love that in Atlanta. We can find one place to talk about lots of things. Now, before we get into the history, let's orient ourselves if you don't know where I'm talking about. So um, what I find about the Met is you either know where it is or you have absolutely no idea it exists. There's no in between. And that feels like a wild statement because the property includes a you know 200-foot water tower that's blue. And so I feel like that kind of sticks out. But if you're not ever in that part of town, you just don't see it. The site is about 40 acres. It's situated on Murphy Avenue, which is runs parallel to Whitehall Street. That's on the west side. Ralph David Abernathy Boulevard is along the north side. Shelton Avenue is on the south side of the property, and the Metropolitan runs alongside the back of the property. To get the full story, we have to start in 1909. That's the year that Anthony Murphy died. Murphy was an Irish immigrant, a pioneer Atlanta citizen, and one of the Confederates involved in the Great Locomotive Chase, actually. He served on Atlanta City Council, he spearheaded the city's waterwork system, and he had a part in establishing the public school system. He and his wife raised eight children, and he lived out his last days on his 40-acre homestead in the West End. So when he died in 1909, major inheritance drama ensued. Two of his sons were majorly cut out of any property inheritance. Uh, One son was left with absolutely nothing. And it takes about four years um, for this to hit the court system. So in February of 1914, the two sons legally contest this will. And if you're not following, this is that property. So this was all Anthony Murphy's um, estate, which of course ties into why it's on Murphy Avenue. Just months later, in July of 1914, World War I officially began. And while I've talked about this many times, the U.S. did not join until later, but the war did affect imports, exports, and the U.S. economy in general almost immediately. And one of those industries was raw cotton, America's largest commodity export at the time. Giving you some stats so you can understand, in 1913, the country exported just over half a million dollars of raw cotton. And so by the next year, half of which was World War I, we exported only 343,000. Cotton prices dropped drastically, and for Georgia, this was a huge problem because we have a lot of cotton. By October of 1914, just months after the start of the war, Atlanta's Central Bank and Trust Corporation, of which Asa Candler was the president, took an ad out in the Constitution newspaper. And it stated that they had been waiting patiently for a national plan to, quote, relieve the cotton situation in the South, end quote. But as nothing had appeared, the bank feels that it's its duty to offer their plan. 
and the idea was to immediately construct an ample warehouse conveniently located on a railroad right-of-way for cotton storage. And against this cotton, loans would be issued at $0.06 per pound. Customers can sell their cotton at any time, but the bank agreed to hold it until July 1st of 1915 or longer if necessary. Now, the initial promise was that this warehouse would be ready for occupancy on October 24th, 1914. That didn't exactly happen. In August of 1915, Asa Candler had purchased the 40-acre Anthony Murphy estate for $120,000. In that same month, he called Arthur Tufts down from New York, and this guy was in charge of all the Candler building operations. So any Candler building in any place, he was like the main superintendent. He pulled a team of surveyors and engineers to inspect the land, and he began planning. By September, excavations had begun under the permit pulled for the Atlanta Warehouse Company. So by November of 1915, the facility is still under construction, but they had completed space to hold about 10,000 bales of cotton. The structure was concrete, fully sprinklered, which made insurance costs one of the lowest in the country. A grand opening took place on a rainy November 19th day with a, quote, old-timey Negro orchestra playing songs from the plantation days, end quote. Five to six hundred people attended and they watched demonstrations by Web High Density showing how they could compress 32 pounds of cotton into a single cubic foot. Construction on the warehouse continued through 1916. Um, Storage space was available for any farmer, merchant, or bank, so you didn't have to be Central Bank, which was Candler's Bank. Um, And then in April of 1916, they had a huge uh, American Cotton Manufacturers Conference in Atlanta. And so they did a huge tour, like 600 men came to see the facility. By December of 1916, Candler had resigned most of his business interests to focus on serving as Atlanta's 41st mayor. This included relinquishing ownership of the Atlanta Warehouse Company to his family. On April 1st, 1917, the U.S. entered into World War I. And almost immediately, there was talk that the Atlanta Warehouse, or the Candler Warehouse, as most likely called at this point, everybody just started calling it that, would be chosen to become the supply depot for the southeastern United States. I think with anticipation of that news, um, in spring of 1917, three extra warehouses were being built and all the executive offices were being moved into a 200-foot water tower, atop of which a 200,000-gallon water tank sat. And so I have been in this water tower. Um, It's really interesting. There is a Candler safe in there. So if you know anything about the Candlers, they love their safes. Um, there is a safe in Briarcliff. There's a safe, obviously, in the Candler building downtown. And there is a Candler safe in this tower as well. By May, Section E was completed with Section C and D under construction. And that's about when the Great Fire of 1917 began. So if you haven't listened to episode 168 about Atlanta's Great Fire, um, I recommend that. And if you have, you may already know that the very first blaze of that fateful day started at the Candler Warehouse. In June of 1917, the United States took about 100,000 square feet of storage space for medical supplies, which Atlantans loved because the government did not have restrictions on where they could purchase. So they could purchase these supplies from anywhere, and they did that throughout Atlanta's businesses. By November of 1917, cotton was at its highest prices since the war began. Less than a year later, 70,000 bales are being removed after orders that the government would be using all of the available space at the Candler Warehouse. So at this point, um, they really, I mean, if you think about it, maybe a year or two that they operated for their initial function. Um, And then they got orders that by August of 1918, they were to vacate everything, 
the U.S. government is moving in. Um, they did want to keep the machinery presses, which was interesting. They were going to compress clothing to send to troops. The United States would use the warehouse through December of 1921 when it finally abandoned it well after World War I ended. In the summer of 1922, Cotton Storage Finance Company took possession of the Candler Warehouse. The company was run by several men, J.J. Williamson, D.T. Manjay, um, F.N. Inman, and John Manjay. Um, Inman, of course, is a family name definitely associated with cotton. They only used a portion of it. This is a huge space. And so the idea was they were going to use some for their business and they were going to make the rest available to the public for storing grain, automoparts, automobiles, etc., by 1931, the first year into the Great Depression, Gulf Atlantic Warehouse had purchased the building to use as a cotton compress. In June of 1940, a huge fire broke out. 3,000 bales of cotton burned for six hours, causing $200,000 in damages. It was an eight-alarm fire that needed 12 pumpers, five trucks, and 100 firemen to fight it. And it, had, it went on for days. There was newspaper accounts for days. Just months later, in September of 1940, the U.S. government once again comes knocking and they lease about 15,000 square feet of office and about half a million square feet of warehouse space for a quartermaster depot. If you know your World War II history, the war began in September of 1939, so this supply center was used to supply the needs of about three to 400,000 local troops to the southeast. By 1941, the war is in full swing, and so the lease goes up to about 27,000 square feet of office. They use over a million square feet of warehouse, and they add a bunch of shed space. About 166,000 square feet of that was actually storing auto parts that were used for any and all army vehicles. And this use also brought tons of jobs. It employed over 1,000 civilians that lived across Atlanta. Now, the lease was set to expire in 1943, and of course, the war is not quite over yet, and so the judge signs an immediate federal court order for the U.S. to continue possessing the Candler Warehouse, and they were paying just over $18,000 a month in rent. I did find a few labor strike-related stories in this time, um, nothing huge. There was one, there was a walkout by white employees in 1944 when the supply center announced that it would begin hiring um, black men to operate lifts and drive trucks. But it was, it was again, it was a blip in the papers, really. I think the walkout lasted a couple hours and everybody went back to work. The war ended in 1945, and by 1946, the warehouse was purchased by four Chicago men to operate as a cotton brokerage. So through the 1950s and 60s, there are several different legal entities that show up as owners. In general, it's used like in the same way it's always been. It's, it's storage or it's related somehow to cotton. It is in this period that a massive renovation takes place. They add about 1,700 square feet of rail that serves, again, over 300 square feet of warehouse. Um, they did three miles of concrete streets. They did a lot of electricity upgrades and a lot of sewer upgrades. Fast forward to 1975, and the property is condemned for public use by the Atlanta Housing Authority. So there is a lot of story around this, and I'm not going to get into the minutia. But basically, the city is planning to build the West End Marta Station. 
not built yet. And so there is very strong support over controlling 40 acres of land right next to the MARTA station. City Council approves the plans to take control of the property without any submission of development ideas, which a lot of people criticized. Um, it costs the city about $4.1 million, and then it costs them another million dollars to relocate all the tenants. And I'm sure the foreshadowing is working, but by 1979, the site is still vacant. The West End Marta station is not yet completed. And again, a lot of criticism in the paper about Atlanta missing out on all this tax revenue. Um, there is a proposal in that same year where the Atlanta Housing Authority proposed converting it all to a giant garment manufacturing industry. In 1988, the property was purchased for $2.4 million by landmark America Corp, which proceeded to go bankrupt two years later. And in 1997, Bill Smith bought it for $1.3 million in cash and renamed it the Candler Smith Warehouse, which I feel like is a bold move. It's a very Candler move, which I love, right? Like very Candler-esque. So the Candler Smith Warehouse, this is when it starts to become converted to residential lofts and artist studios. And I have heard a lot of stories from a lot of people that lived here, worked here, visited here. It sounds like it was awesome um, in very wild ways. Someone needs to do, I think someone actually is working on some kind of oral history about this time at the building. Sadly, there was another fire in 2006 that displaced a lot of people. Um, this also brought to light a lot of code violations, permit violations. Again, another very dramatic period in the history of this property in that time. Carter bought the property in 2018 and they began a full renovation. And so that is where I got to tour the property in 2021. Uh, they renamed the development the Met, M-E-T, and there are tenants there. They range from, I've been to visit very small businesses that kind of use one of the bays to store things. Um, they have some well-known organizations that have very large fancy offices, I'm calling it. Um, there's one really great place to eat. They have a really great plan for it. Um, the art is amazing. There is a sculpture garden, if you want to call it that, on a really high part of the property that overlooks the skyline. It's definitely like if a lot of people use hidden gem in Atlanta in the wrong way, but I think that it definitely applies to this property. So there you have it. The story of the Candler Warehouse. Today it's called The Met. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, there's a link in the show notes. I'm going to put um, a link to Carter's website in case you guys want to check it out. Um, there's also a link to my Patreon page if you want to support the work that I do. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.